Disclaimer. Content warning. This podcast contains views of violence, strong language, and strong situations, some of which may not be suitable for those under the age of 18 or with soft listening habits. Listener discretion is strongly advised. The Focus Fights Audio Podcast contains the expressed opinion of J. Christian Gary and whoever he may have hosting the show with him, or whoever may take the place of Mr. Gary on behalf of him. Their words are of theirs and theirs alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Focus Fights or any entities mentioned for fear of lost opportunities or future endeavorment in whole or in part in the present or in the future. Any questions, comments, or concerns about this podcast can be referred to via DM on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Focus Fights or via email at focusfights at gmail.com. All the fighters mentioned on this show and or any guests that the host may have on are trained professional fighters, wrestlers, and combatants. And while we cannot speak for them, we should advise you, the listener, to not try any of the hits, holds, or moves seen in professional combat sports, at home, school, or anywhere else on adult supervision for fear of potential injury and or death. With that in mind, we thank you for your patience, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. big interview to get set for on the YouTube channel next week with one of the big names who will be fighting on the upcoming Rising 45 New Year's Eve card. I just wanted to put this episode out because I read this article on Beyond Kickboxing's website about Lion Fight. You know, the big promotion that had a deal with Access TV, had a deal with the Fight Pass, had a deal with Fight TV, but they don't want to pay their fighters well. And the history of them using the sport of Muay Thai and kickboxing to an extent as a plaything to make money. The link for that article is in the description above this version. You know, the podcast you're listening to right now. And the video version on YouTube, which is kind of ironic. Because it is a podcast, but it's just a still image superimposed over this hour-long conversation. I mean, if you want to skip it, go ahead. But I encourage you... To listen to that as well and you know subscribe to the channel but still though i spoke with the man behind gentleman's combat and the uh, pride resurrection youtube channel aussie mma fighter or amateur mma fighter pro wrestler and great gear maker made in australia alistair iron box fleming who is basically just diying on a small budget about the issues that not only have poisoned the well for scott kent's lion fight promotion but pretty much combat sports in general, at least on this side of the Pacific, and I'm pretty sure in Australia as well, the continent and the country, in addition to talking about how his close fight colleague, Jesse Steele, recently got stiffed out on a paycheck after fighting on the only Lion Fight card of 2023, which may probably be the last event they'll hold this year, if ever. I mean, I'm just saying... 
One event this year does not make up a promotion. Let's be real. Still, though, this is going to be a fun conversation. If you like what you're hearing or in the case of my YouTube channel watching, you know, be sure to leave a review. Give it five stars, hopefully. Share this out to the masses. Get the word out. And in addition, in checking the links to Focus Fights in the Linktree URL in the description of both this podcast, audio, and video, where you can also find out how to get in touch with Gentleman's Combat as well in the description, or Jin Kamba, as I will probably call him for future sense. Be sure to follow our friends over at Beyond Kickboxing. Their links will be in the description of this podcast below, and they really love and support the art of kickboxing and the art of the eight limbs known as Muay Thai and just want to see both of them grow, even though it's not getting any publicity or major, you know, airplay, television airplay in North America. I mean, you could even say streaming airplay as well. But then again, I guess that's why outside of MMA, boxing, pro wrestling, you know, some BJJ tournaments, slap fighting, and bare-knuckle combat, most combat sports here are considered an afterthought unless somebody with big-name experience gets involved. If you know what I mean, then you definitely know. But as you'll hear in this podcast, Scott Kent ain't one of them. Enough of my diatribing, though. Alistair Fleming, the... Iron Box Gentleman's Combat Man is waiting. And I hope y'all enjoyed this brief episode of Focus Fights Audio. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, what's good, y'all? Sorry for the very early occurrence of a new episode of Focus Fights Audio. But... Still, though, when there's stories hitting the airwaves or stories hitting the mainframe about fighters getting stiffed, and that person just so happens to be somebody who knows somebody that I know, you know, we have to talk about it. So, yeah, this is a very special edition of Focus Fights Audio, and I got my good friend Gentleman's Combat a.k.a. Alistair Fleming looking to talk to us about a fighter who is close to him that ended up getting stiffed by the soon-to-be-dead, pretty much rotting out from the corpse lion fight promotion. Mr. Fleming, can you please introduce yourself to the good people of my audience? Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Alistair Fleming. I am an amateur fighter, professional wrestler, maker of high-quality martial arts and professional wrestling gear. And back when I was living in Orange, I was training with a guy called Jesse Astle. And Jesse Astle has gone on to great things. And he recently fought for the Lion Fight promotion for their, uh, their World's Muay Thai Championship. And to fucking release spoilers, to jump right into it, he has not been paid what he has been owed for that fight. And, you know, it is kind of crazy that you mention it, because, like you said, he hasn't been paid for the fight. But, Lion Fight has been around since 2010. And they have a history of not paying their fighters. They actually have a history of using bounce checks to cover for fighters. 
And right now we're, I mean, right now I'm basically looking at the Beyond Kickboxing article about it. And it's really sad that this promotion has been around for 13 years. And they've basically been getting away with stiffing fighters left, right, and center. I mean, would you say that your friend Jesse Estill was just... I mean, I wouldn't say naive, but did he even know about Lion Fight's history before going to fight for them? I think it's been sort of an open secret in the Muay Thai world. And we're out here, you know, miles and miles away in Australia. So there's no one in our ear telling us, oh, you've got to fight with X, by the way, you know, make sure you get paid before you leave the building because, you know, we're not in the same country. Whereas I gather that Scott mm -hmm. Kent, the promoter of Lion Fight, has been churning through his reputation in the States. Um, and yeah, it, it has been sort of a, a pattern of behavior. So uh, for those that are on Instagram, and if ever you search Muay Thai, one of the first guys that's going to pop up is Liam Harrison. And so he recently said that it took Lion Fight three months to cover his pay. And that was, you know, back when the promotion was actually somewhat reputable. I mean, yeah, of course it was somewhat reputable back then because they had deals with Access TV, you know, the same people that air Impact in the U.S. They basically had all this fanfare because they had guys like Smoking Joe Nottawood and Yachts and Clyde Fairtex fight for them. And it is kind of crazy to me that they had all this prestige. Oh, and they had Tiffany Time Bomb Van Sels too. Mm. They had all this prestige, but they couldn't pay their fighters. They basically treated the sport of Muay Thai like it's a personal plaything. I think I'm going to play amateur psychologist here. Um, but okay. I think there is, especially in, I, I wouldn't say especially in combat sports, but in combat sports and just in business in general, there's been this fetishization of the Silicon Valley method of faking it until you're making it, of, you know, just mm -hmm. trying to stay ahead of your debts, and then one day it's all going to come together. One day you'll be worth a billion dollars. One day it's all going to magically happen for you. You can just, it doesn't matter who you burn through. It doesn't matter what debts you build up in the meantime. You know, that promised land is coming. And rather than, you know, sticking to solid business fundamentals of going, this event is going to cost me X to put on, that means I can pay X for the fighters and I need Y people to come through the door, and thinking in terms of that, a lot of promoters are thinking, 10 years from now I'm going to be a billionaire, so it doesn't matter if I don't pay this guy from Australia today because I'll get him back then. And I don't think it's deliberate. I don't think that uh, Scott Kent, the promoter of lion fight thinks oh, i'm ripping these people off i'm pretty sure he wants to be famous he wants to be fucking dana white um mm. and he's just not thinking in terms of like solid business fundamentals of i need to be able to pay for all of this he's thinking this is just a stepping stone this is just you know the next thing we can just keep it going i just need my next event i just need my next event it'll all come together and it doesn't fucking come together it never will I mean, of course it doesn't come together because you're too busy basically signing. I mean, let's just say you're signing big guys with records. I already mentioned, you know, Yachts and Cly and Nata Wood. 
And I think Sidichai Sampinong also fought for Lion Fight. And I know that Kevin Ross and Tatsuya Yamato fought for Lion Fight as well. Obviously, I've interviewed Kevin Ross before. Mm. But still, though, when it comes down to Muay, when it comes down to stuff like Muay Thai in this country, in the United States, it is not going to sell well because it's not boxing. It's not MMA. It's barely kickboxing. I mean, you're not going to get many people in the door just by, you know, showing off the art of the eight limbs. Yeah, um, I think, I, d I think you can promote combat sports very well. I think that if you know the area you're getting into, if you know mm -hmm. how, like, where you need to put up your posters, what gyms you need to talk to, you can sell out a combat sport event and pay everyone, like, a reasonable amount. You just need to actually be decent at promoting. And that is becoming less and less common in uh, fight promotion. There's sort of this expectation that either the internet will do the job for you, or um, if you simply just do ticket commission with your fighters, your fighters will do the job for you, or... Um, it, worse and worse is uh, I won't pay my people, but, you know, they'll get by an exposure and, you know, they'll also sell my tickets. They'll do all the work for me. There, there's this offloading of the work of being a fight promoter onto the other members of the fucking the, the business rather than, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's literally in the job description. You are a fight promoter. You need to make this fight that people want to watch a story worth going and seeing because people don't want to see the best fighters in the world. They want to see people that they know. So if you're not spending mm -hmm. every minute leading up to an event going, this is Jesse Astill. He's coming all the way from Australia. He's fucking great. He's got X, um, you know, uh, X titles and whatever. And he's fighting our guy, Stephen Walker. He's the previous lion fight champion. Here's him head kicking someone to death last time. If you're not spending every absolute second of your time doing that, you're not being a promoter. You're just putting on fights. You're a matchmaker. And you already hire someone to do that. Like, what the fuck's the point? Basically, ah, what am I trying to say? Basically, you're getting guys like a steel flying all the way halfway around the world. Yeah. Taking ass whooping from the local guy. Yeah, like it's. I get bringing in an international guy, but how many tickets is Jesse gonna sell in Vegas? If you went to Orange or where he lives now, he'd sell out the fucking building, and it'd be worth it. But like, there's no point just having international competitor on there. It's it's just clout. It, it's not gonna do anything for you business wise, and then you don't even fucking pay it. So, I, I talked to Jesse, he says that most of it's been covered in the Beyond Kick or his Instagram. His flights got paid for, which is, you know, one thing, but I think that was kind of deliberate on Scott's part, because he's paid for his flights, has made sure that Jesse's out of the country the day after the fight show, so he can't chase him up for the money that he's owed. So, Jesse's owed part of his purse, um, and accommodation and medicals for the event. Oh damn, that is kind of crazy. Yeah, and I it's mean, not how long did, but how long did he have to, how long did he have to do before he even got paid for that? Uh, he has not been paid. He was he's out the medical bill and he's out the accommodation. He's all right in because yeah. he's a smart businessman. He runs his own uh, personal training fucking business, whatever. Does meal plans for people, makes up uh, mm -hmm. exercise plans for people. Does that quite well. So he's not 
broke. But there are other people who are only fighters who have fought for Lion Fight and ended up fucked, just completely out on their ass with no money. Um, I'm blanking on her name, but she had to tell, sell the fucking title belt. Um, who was this one? Tiffany Van Sost. T- yeah, Tiffany Van Sost. She had to sell her fucking title belt on eBay in order to make fucking rent. Yeah, if this is a world fucking Muay Thai championship, if this is a promotional fight championship, this is fucking unacceptable. This is just amateur bush league shit you'd expect from a guy running a pro wrestling organization, not from a guy running events in fucking Vegas. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and you can basically make the comparisons all you want. I mean, either way, no matter what type of promotion you run, whether it be combat sports or concerts, you're on the motors. You're people milking the money for themselves and then not have a good return on investment. You're also not gonna have you're also gonna have people who basically say, Oh, this concert's coming to this city and it's gonna happen then and we're gonna have all these people come in the building. I mean, let me go ahead and tell you, this is their only event this year. I think they had a schedule of shows that they were going to do and they didn't even pay off the venues and last year in my neck of the woods where i'm 15 minutes away from the venue they were supposed to have a show in my neck of the woods at the local wrestling arena which is 15 minutes away from my house where i'm sitting right now and they didn't even have an event there. They just canceled outright without even really telling the fighters or the fans anything. They had to tell the damn... They had to tell Fight TV, their streaming provider, before then, just to even get that going. That's... It's ridiculous. Um, And... I'm not sure why. This is This is something that I have run into a few times. Not necessarily myself, but with other people who are in wrestling or combat sports that Mm -hmm. like there won't be open and honest communication and the part of the promoter like they'll completely fuck something and then just refuse to mention it just pretend that everything's all right in the hope that it's all going to come together that it'll all be okay that they're going to find something on the last day at the last minute you're not like the only I'm going to tell a personal story here, so we're going to bring it back. Go ahead. This is this is Storm Damage. Storm Damage is an excellent promotion run by um, Storm MMA out in Canberra. They do pro-am shows. This is the... He had been working to get this show together with, like, in the year of the New South Wales Combat Sports Authority, making sure he had the venue booked, making sure everything was all right, and he had that show locked tight like he had submitted everything six months before to make sure that we were all going to be there on time and he only got the clearance for it that day after ringing fucking like every other hour every other day for two weeks leading up to so if you're not on as a fucking combat sports promoter if you're not doing your job properly things are not going to work out for you you're going to get screwed one way or another even if you're you know technically doing everything right you need to have done everything right six months ago in order to get things to happen we were actually running the same night as another promotion, which was Brace. Now, Brace used to be a big deal in Australia. They were on Channel 10 at like 1 p.m., 1 fucking, 1 in the morning. But it was still national TV. You could still watch MMA on your fucking terrestrial television and sit down. That was like a big deal. And Storm was fucking furious because they, like, he told them what nights he was running in um, Canberra. Like, don't double book us. 
Um, they still fucking double booked on him, and then he's like, they're not going to make it. Uh, it's too hard this time. Like, the the somebody had gotten hurt quite badly at a previous event, and so, like, the yeah. combat sports were really, really on it, and they were being sticklers, and he's like, there's no way that guy's going to actually run this show. And so he'd sold tickets, he'd booked the venue, he had fighters booked and whatever, and then the day we all went into weigh-ins, fucking, he's like, he had the biggest shit-eating grin on his face that I've ever seen a man have. And I love Storm, and I'm like, what's going on? It's just like, braces cancelled. I knew they fucking couldn't. Um, because even if you're doing everything right, in inverted commas, um, you, you know, you, it's still hard to run fucking combat sport events. And there's too many people who are in here with dreams of being Vince McMahon or fucking Dana White who don't understand, mm -hmm. like, the expertise required to actually run an event, don't have the organizational fucking acumen to run an event, and then even if you have those two, like, then they're fucking grifters like Scott Kent, who aren't paying everybody. Exactly. And I mean, I'm basically looking at this right now on Instagram from the guy that fought Jesse Steele. Mm. Steve stops sleeping or put him to sleep walker and he basically said he had to quit because lion fight didn't pay him ten thousand he had to struggle just to get through the training camp to fight a steal ten thousand dollars and then had to basically pay his bills and was only able to celebrate the holidays last year well i think this year too because of his gym and his family and his coach and now he's down 13 grand US. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's... you can't. Like, obviously you can because he's fucking done it, but, like, I don't understand the thought process required to go into a show on the day and not have the money required for it. So I'm going to throw somebody else under the bus today. Um, there was okay. an event not long ago, it was called Wrestle Queerdom. And it, great idea. So it was a gathering I of. Oh. I think I've heard of this. Yeah. Wrestle Quidem is a gathering of some of the best LGBTQ plus professional wrestlers there is. Yeah. But what happened there? All together on one event at one place at one time, you know, it was going to be a big deal. The promoter for that event was just a fan, just didn't know what they were doing. And just had these thoughts that it was all going to work out. Everyone was going to buy tickets to this event because, you know, it, it, it's WrestleQueerdom. Why would they not? I'm, I'm a fan of all of these people. I'll buy that ticket. You don't necessarily know. Like, I know that I'm just a gremlin who's into shoot style. I know there's like 60 of us in the whole of Australia. Um, I know I can't put on a $10,000 event and make my money back. And I definitely can't put on a $10,000 event, go into debt to do it. And expect to yeah. pay everybody. I need to run like a low level show. But because there's this dream of being a big promoter, of running a big show, of running a second show, people will put, will promise the world. They will make thousands of promises. They will promise thousands of dollars. They will promise everything to everybody and then worry about making it a reality later on which is just completely ass backwards. And that's what happened to WrestleQueerdom. The cameraman didn't get paid. Half the wrestlers didn't get paid. The only one who did went like flown in from Japan and demanded their payment up front. Like that's the only person who I think made money apart from the venue at WrestleQueerdom. The rest of it was just gone. Mm. And that sucks. Yeah, it, and it's worse. <laughs> it's just, you can't. It, I 
I don't understand it. I can't understand looking at trying to run an event and thinking other anything else than I need to have all the money for this up front. Because if that's not your thinking, it will catch up on you at like, the same way it like it might be after one event, it might be after 75 events in the case of Lion Fight, but it's going to catch up mm. onto you and you will go under. And I mean and when it comes down to wrestling queer, I mean, I have respect for those in can really go out and showcase themselves to the world to prove, hey, we just want to be accepted just like everybody else. But there are some promotions that just have all-in dreams with a Heroes of Wrestling budget. Now, I'm pretty sure you remember the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view from like 25 years ago, right? They don't even have the Heroes of Wrestling budget. They don't have the money. There's, it's, there's not even that level of like dollars lying around. Heroes of Wrestling, I think everybody managed to get out of the building with their purse. Just the event never happened again because it was a piece of dog shit. But you need to, build like if you're coming into wrestling if you're com like wrestling's fucking easy you can rent a bingo hall for 75 dollars find five local guys uh run a four-man tournament and a fucking tag team and then there you go you put on an event you can run it on mats you can do it cheaply you can still pay everybody as long as you're willing to start small and accept what you are it is this the delusions of grandeur, the idea that your event's going to be the best event straight out of the gate, rather than understanding that the UFC wasn't the UFC when it first started. It was, you know, an investment. It was an infomercial. Fucking Hoyron and Art Davey had a good amount of money lying around. Like, uh, do you think that Hoyron Gracie actually paid um, Hoist that $50,000? Or do you think he just let him live in his house? Now, you're talking about the first UFC event. Yeah, that which, first oh, by one. The way, happened 30 years ago. Exactly. So, like, think about it. If you're Horion Gracie and the guy who won your event that you put on is your little nephew, are you going to pay that guy the $50,000 that, that it was on the big check? Mm hmm. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so, like, even Horon, he knew what he was doing. He'd set that up so that Hoist would win. You don't have to pay Hoist, his family. Um, the thing is, like, you'll get that in fight promotions. You'll get that in wrestling promotions. They will create the illusion of family, that you're all a family here, you're all going to look out for each other. That's just an excuse to exploit you, to take stuff away. Oh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't hold me up for the, for this money. Uh, we're, we're a family here. You know, you understand that I'm having a hard time putting everything together. I gave you great opportunities to go out there and show your stuff. We're family. It's just these excuses and upon excuses by promoters to fuck over the people who put on their show. Because if there's no fighters, if there's no wrestlers, if there's no musicians, there is no show. Mm. and they're, they're not necessarily the first people that will get left behind, but they're the easiest ones too, because they don't have money for lawyers. I'm not going to go to fucking small claims court over the $30 I got stiffed the other week. <laughs> like, and uh, but we'll, we'll get into some more of that later, but it's 
usually amounts that are small enough for it not to be worthwhile chasing. Or the person's too broke to chase you up. So they're easy to rip off. Right, of course. And I mean, come to think of it, we talk about budgets. I mean, come to think of it, do y'all... No, what am I trying to say? You obviously remember the hype and the build-up and the prestige behind the match last year in Japan, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was the... I mean... Oh, yeah, continue. Mm -hmm. that was I mean, it took basically three different promotions. Ryzen, Rise, and K1, and Shootboxing to an extent. But those four promotions basically had to put everything together just to make sure this event wasn't doomed to fail. I mean, they did everything they could except distribute it out to folks around the world, but it was still a success. Was Did the match get fucked over by um, Sakaki Bara's Yakuza connections? Was that the one that had to get transferred over to Fight TV at the last notice? Uh, yes, but even Fight TV didn't want that. Oh, yeah, the uh, yeah, that had to get swapped over, and then they found a way to make, make half-decent money from the uh, pay-per-view. But even then, like, it's still the same nonsense. It's still... People just have their dicks in uh, combat sports for no reason. <laughs> um, like... In Japan, there is always that question about whether or not the event that you're going to is run by, you know, a member of the fucking Miyazaki Gumi or whatever it is, you know, whichever family is controlling that part of Tokyo. I remember, um, so one, obviously, uh, Pride, mm -hmm. uh, was under the thumb of the Yakuza for such a amount of time, uh, which led to their eventual destruction because of the, their treatment of Fedor's and Mirko Krokop's uh, manager. Um, but I remember Rion Fujiwara, so he is a Australian wrestler, shoot name Rion McEvoy. Uh, he wrestles for Glate, um, and shows up elsewhere. He had a match with, uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, where Fujiwara, like, bestowed upon him the name. He has this lovely little blog series, um, called Rion's Writings, where he talks about, sort of, some Japanese history from the view of a West, and, uh, um, and then talking about his, uh, original wrestling promotion that he came up in, uh, under Tajiri. Tajiri didn't know, but, like, their investor was... I think was, that was uh, called Wrestling New Classic, right? Uh, potentially. Give me a second, I'll have a little look if I can find it. Rion. It was called Smash at first, then called Wrestling New Classic. Yeah. Um, that was... For a while, there was, like, a money mark behind that. So someone who just loves wrestling, just throwing money at it, expecting that at some point it's going to give the money back. It never did, because it's wrestling. Um, eventually, uh, that person dropped out and stopped paying uh, Tajiri money. And so Tajiri is looking for another investor. And then someone in the same building uh, as their uh, school starts sort of paying for events or giving them money to pay extra events. And this was... And then Rion got hired as a translator for a businessman. So yeah. he goes to meet this businessman. And he goes, hold on, I'm at the same building where my uh, wrestling school is. What the fuck's going on? Goes upstairs and just walks straight into this Yakuza office. Because he sees the guy and he's seen his picture in newspapers. And he's like, oh, this is the guy that's now owns our wrestling organization. Fuck. <laughs> um... So, eventually, they got out of that business deal, you know, and Tajiri didn't get stabbed with a piss-soaked knife, thankfully. But, 
Like, combat sports, it's either an idiot who doesn't know what they're doing, it's a fighter who barely knows what they're doing and has no money, which which is the case of Storm and most of the promotions in Australia. Um, and then, or it's, you know, organized crime. And the reason kick, kickboxing used to be huge in Australia, it used to be a huge deal um, after, like, we had a lot of guys have great success in K1. So we had Sam Greco, mm-hmm. um, I'm blanking on names here, Stan the Man, Long Dunitas. Yeah. Uh, Adam Watts and all of those guys went over to K1 and they were uh, Peter Graham sort of later in that period, but still sort of the same thing. And we started having bigger and bigger kickboxing events in Australia. And, you know, it was a really good deal until there was. Think of it, wasn't Mark Hunt also a big star in Australia or is it because of the fact that he's a Kiwi New uh, Zealander? We, we do that. We still anybody of talent from New Zealand, we sort of claim as our own, uh, like, you know, on the world stage. Um, if you put us like right. in the room with. An Australian and a New Zealander in the room, walk away, come back 10 minutes later, you know, we'll be fist fighting. Put an Australian and New Zealander and anybody else in the room, we'll have beaten up that guy. Uh, that's sort of what goes <laughs> on. Yeah. I mean, come to think of it, I'm surprised that Michael Schiavello got out of those things unscathed. Exactly. But, well, he almost didn't. So there was an event that was called the Ballroom Blitz. And I think it was 2000, 2006. Uh, give me a second. Ballroom Blitz. Australian kickboxing. Uh, 2006. Alrighty. Uh, that event had significant underground fucking bikey connections. And so they paid for this mm. thing to go on. They had, like, had their favorite fighter on that show. And then people from a rival bikey gang rocked up. And five people got taken to the hospital. Like, either shot or stabbed. And $40,000 worth of damage got done to the event. Like, event premises. So I think I remember hearing about this because they didn't even finish up the event, did they? Oh no, it just got fucked. Just not like uh, in Holland where you know the brawl will break up, they'll settle everybody down, and then they'll finish the match. No, like this just went completely nuts. And like you don't know which one you'd rather. Would you rather everybody get paid but not know where the money's coming from? Or would you rather, you know, go to an event, know who the guy is, know that at least you're not going to get stabbed accidentally because you beat the wrong guy, but then you're going to have to chase up the promoter for the next six months about getting paid. It's swings and roundabouts. Right, of course. But I mean, to be honest... It just basically leads to a lot of these promoters thinking, hey, you know, I could possibly be, I mean, it's not just actual businessmen, it's former fighters too. I mean, I think there was a case five years ago this month where the World Bare Knuckle Fighting Federation was ran by Boss Roots and and he basically had this entire card. He had this tournament that was supposed to happen with a bunch of guys at 135 pounds. And it was supposed to be the dawning of bare-knuckle boxing in the States after, of course, a century-old, you know, outage, so to speak. But mm. still, though, you remember hearing about the WBKA. WBKFF story, didn't you? Uh, I mean, don't you? No, you'll have to tell me that one, I'm afraid. Oh, I, I remember right. that um, BKFC killed somebody. Uh, mm. Whoever it is that keeps letting Frank Mir fight is going to have his blood on their hands not too long yeah. in, in the future. Uh, but tell me about tell me about Bus Rootens. What? 
Yeah, but still, though, the event happened, again, five years ago this month. I think five years ago, five years and, like, two weeks ago. But still, though, the fight card happened in Wyoming because they couldn't get clearance for a true venue. Then, after the fight happened, everybody kept turning to Boss Rutan saying, Hey, when are we going to get paid? When are we going to get our money? Boss Rutan basically said, "Uh, Yeah, you know, you're going to have to come back with me in two weeks, and I will get you your money, okay? God's beat buddy on. <laughs> and basically... Basically, all this chaos happened. The promoter, Thomas Stankiewicz, ended up getting time behind bars for a $2.4 million fraud scheme. Ah. And, uh, yes. And what's worse, the management team of Phil Baroni, who, by the way, is now a convicted felon because he murdered his wife in Mexico, mm. but still, though, the team for Phil Baroni basically complained on one of the videos of this very, I mean, basically one of the videos, one of the first couple of videos of Focus Fights on YouTube is a video, an interview video with the people behind Future Legend talking about why Phil Baroni hadn't got paid. Hmm. And it was like weeks after the whole damn thing happened. So basically the WBKFF who had all this money. They got Kenny Rice and Boss Rutan doing commentary. They had Jimmy Lennon Jr. doing ring announcing, and we all know how classy and prestigious he is. Yeah. They basically shot the bed when it came down to, you know, paying the fighters up front and running a stable operation. That was basically promotional malpractice right in front of our eyes the second the damn national anthem ended. You, look, they never had the money. <laughs> um, they had some, they had an amount, they had enough to, you know, pay down payments on everybody. But I'm thinking, you know, the man's being arrested for fraud, so maybe he thought he was going to launder a bunch of money through it. But mm -hmm. again, I think it comes down to those delusions of grandeur, that belief that you're going to make it, we're all going to make it, bruh, or whatever. You're going to somehow turn this thing around, even though you don't have the base required to actually run a show. And, you know, sometimes, some places running a show is quite difficult. Other places you can run a show for no money and still come out ahead. But you've got to have, you know, that amount. You can't just have the down payments for everybody. It's not a fucking house. You can't pay 5% now and then put yourself in debt for 20 years. You have to be able to actually afford the event that you're going to run. Otherwise, there will be a tragedy uh, whether or not it's on your first one, yeah, like I said, event one, event 75, it's always going to come back on you. And I mean, come to think of it, you did mention that BKFC killed a guy in the ring. I mean, do you remember exactly who that was? Uh, God, uh, BKFC death. Uh, Justin Thornton, uh, there you go, 38 right. years old. That was damn near two years ago. Yeah. And, like... Well, so, even even the biggest promotions in the world are not immune to this hubris. So, Dana White, a uh, notorious wife-beater and idiot, bald, steroid-using man, um, has is running a show that's going to kill somebody at, at some point. Uh, there has already been one recorded death in slap fighting. It's just lucky that it's not been oh on power God. slap. 
Yeah, and so it's not even as if these people that are aspirational targets for promoters have the magic touch. They just got lucky with particular circumstances at a particular time. Um, even Dana has the hubris that, you know, everything he touches is going to turn to gold. And he's pumped Power Slap with, for all he's worth. And no <laughs> one gives a shit or everyone actively hates it. No one likes Power Slap. I mean, of course nobody likes Power Slap. Yeah. There's no defense in Power Slap. There's no way you can punch a guy, kick a guy, submit a guy or girl. Hmm. It's just basically you taking hits. Yeah, you just seriously. You, you are trading brain cells for money at that point. And yeah, it's not even well, life-changing money. If I worked for my current job, uh -huh. it's a two-week paycheck at my current job. And my job is not prestigious and I don't work full-time. Like, there's no reason to do that show. And yet, people will because there's the dream that, you know, this is going to turn into MMA. This is going to make me viral. This is going to fucking you know, make something out of me as a fighter. It never will. It will just take away, you know, memories of your childhood. Uh, yeah, not just memories of your childhood, but memories of your future relevant mm -hmm. relatives. Yeah. What am I trying to say? It's basically, I mean, slap fighting in a way, it's just a pipeline to dementia and potentially CTE. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, but, you know, that won't stop Dana from holding up that BKFC death and going, oh, look, this will never happen in the UFC. It is a miracle that people have not died in the UFC. There has been promotional malpractice there fucking top to bottom, and it's getting worse. And, you know, I could go on an hour-long rant about the watering down of the product and the fact that they're not paying people what an MMA fighter is worth at that level. But mind you, what I mean, the you yeah, uh -huh. hey, I've started the rant. We're gonna we're gonna finish it. All right, Alistair's gonna rant for five to ten minutes on the state of the UFC. I hope you're all ready. Go ahead. All righty. This is a fight show. As a fighter, when I started, um, I think the first event that I watched live was UFC two six three. So that was Anderson Silva versus uh, Chris Weidman, where he knocked out Silva, and like that was a point where if I looked at a UFC card, I could go down to the person at the absolute bottom of the prelims and Fight Pass had just come out. It was a great time to be a fight fan. I could look at them and I could follow their career from the regionals to the UFC and see a quality fighter develop and like see their career become something. And I could attach to every single fighter on a card. Some people were saying it was watered down at that point, which is, you know, arguable and perhaps agreeable, because they'd started running more and more events. Because um, I know that I watched Max Holloway from the prelims all the way through to his championship. Mm -hmm. And at that same time, I was like, this is incredible. I'm going to start trying to do this. And so I started training. At that point, making it to the UFC meant something. It doesn't anymore. Because you get guys who are four and two or 3-0 and coming off the regional scene who have not been tested, have not been, have not developed, are not quality fighters. They're just bodies. And the bodies are filling up the 3,700 fucking ESPN cards that UFC needs to run. Mm -hmm. If you make I mean, it to the UFC... I'll say they again. got 600 bodies on record yeah. on their roster, and that's not including just the top guys. It's including guys that they either 
plucked from the regional scene here or around in the U.S. or around the world, or they basically stole them so other promotions like Horizon, like a Bellator, like 1FC, well, I wouldn't say Bellator anymore because mm, it's dead Bellator now. Rip Bellator. <laughs> Rip Bellator. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the legends never die, but that that promotion just died this past weekend. Still, though, point of the matter is they're either stolen from the regional scene, they're stolen so other promotions won't get to them, or they think that they're just the hottest prospect in the room and they basically can't be stopped. But even then, even the, the hot, inverted commas, prospects haven't developed. A hot prospect, you know, four years ago, was Chris Weidman. He was coming in at like 9-0 and off the regionals and he'd beaten up, he'd beaten Uriah Hall by this point. Like, he was a big fucking deal when he came into the UFC. No one's a big deal anymore. You come in and you're just another guy and there's no chance to, the promotion as a, like, the promotion of each individual fight and each individual fighter has dropped off hugely. Um, I remember not long ago, Tim Means had a fight. And it was the most generic shit I'd ever seen someone put up, like, in a video package. It was like, the veterans taking on the young guy. And it's like, Tim Mean isn't a fucking veteran fighter. He's violence with fucking, you know, eyes. He's just a fucking mess. The fact that they didn't put footage of just Tim Means trying to elbow people to death and go, this is why you need to watch that fight. They didn't. They just had, you know, the same 40 seconds of... Fight footage from his last two fights since the Reebok deal came through and, like, mm. some training. And, you know, most fighters are charisma vacuums. You, no offense, but we all are. Um, we don't know how to cut promos. We don't get told how to sell ourselves because that's not hugely important in the current, like, meta of MMA promotion. So there's no chance for them to develop as a person to for anybody to latch on to. And it's deliberate by the UFC. The UFC wants to be the only game in town. If you're a pro fighter, you're fighting for the UFC or you don't matter. And that allows them to get away with what I would call malpractice in terms of booking people to fight inside suspension periods. Like, uh, not long ago, former middleweight champion of the world, the guy, like a company man, a guy who had helped him out of so many jams, fucking Michael Bisbing got sacrificed to uh, fucking, what's his name? Uh, wrestler guy, middleweight, was on was in Shanghai. Um, Fuck. <laughs> let me see here. Because you're basically talking about Michael Vitz being he obviously is a legend. He pretty I mean, let's just say he was a legend before he even won the damn middleweight title and then lost it to fucking GSP. Yeah, Gastelum. They fucking wasted Bisbing's last fight against Kelvin Gastelum. Three weeks after he got brained by St. Pierre. Like, what the fuck's the point? <laughs> if that's how you it's treat... like you said. It's like you said. It's promotional sacrifice. Yeah. Just... They see him as somebody, hey, we gave this... Wait, we have him put on a five-fight winning streak, go straight to the title, cement his legacy, blah, blah, blah. Here. Lose to George St. Pierre, and then we'll call you back in three weeks to fly halfway to China to lose to Gastelum, who hasn't meant shit in, what, a few, and then, what, the last eight years that he's been with the roster? Ten years, really? Yeah, he hasn't done anything with it. They just wasted it for no reason. Um, like, who's he lost to? Adesanya, Till, Hermanson, Whitaker, Kanye. So he's not losing against 
bad guys, but, like, what the fuck's the- what was the point of it? Why would you waste Beesving's last fight that way? Why would you burn him out for no reason? And I'm- I- it- because there's that dream, because there's the dream of make it to the UFC, make it all the way to the championship, you're gonna be famous, you're gonna have fucking Conor McGregor money, everybody who fights has exception bias. They think they're gonna be that 1%, they think they're gonna be that world champ that's gonna go all the way to the top. You're fucking not- one person who listens to this fucking podcast maybe will get to the UFC. Maybe. Because or in the case of professional wrestling, yeah. one person that listens to us chat might get to the WWE. Yeah. But they have to deal with all the restrictions and basically be put on a fucking muzzle to told to be told what to do. Exactly. Like the the dream of being the fucking Rock or McGregor or fucking I don't know whoever is there. John in, Cena. Yeah, is is in all of our heads, and it makes us exploitable and usable. And like I wrapped up my current relationship with the promotion that I've been with because that was all there was. All it was was the dream. This wasn't a place where they were trying to make like. Uh, a show that we could do and like not necessarily full-time but would be acceptable for it to be a job like when i got here first that was what the promoter said to us all he said this is what i want out of here and it's three years later and he's doing the same speech for the new fucking uh intake and he's like this is a place where you get noticed to get signed and i go those are two very fucking different things i'm fucking out because i'm 31 i'm old and i'm not gonna do steroids <laughs> and my style is not exactly fucking indie darling style. The Fed's never coming for me. If I'm working at a place that wants me to be, wants me to give up my weekends that I could spend, you know, earning money, making gear. If I'm coming to a place that, uh, you know, has this restrictive fucking culture of what they'll allow on the product because, you know, they want it to be the widest, the widest fucking uh, audience possible and that they're scared of, you know, trying anything new, if I'm living under these restrictions and there's nothing for me, why the fuck am I still here? Exactly. So, yeah. And I mean, I know what you mean. I just turned 31 a couple of weeks ago myself as of the time of this recording. I mean, getting third, being past the age of 30 is not really good for physical awareness. I mean, shit. I'm five three, 170 pounds. How fucking, how much fucking physical awareness do you think I got? Yeah. Like, and but so, still though. yeah, it's, it's easy. It's easy to fucking get in a young guy's ear and blow him up and say he's going to be the fucking greatest thing in the world. And then use that to not pay him what he's worth, not pay him what he's doing for you. You can see it with a lot of fighters. You can see it with a lot of wrestlers. They'll get gassed up by everybody and then they won't get fucking paid. But because it's the dream, I mean, come to think of it, yeah, you can also see that with boxing too, yeah. right? Boxers, I mean, you've been seeing that with boxing for decades. Yes, yeah. boxers, wrestlers, musicians, everybody—it's all the dream is there, and they, the fucking people at the top who no longer have that dream, but understand that that's the carrot on the stick that they need to keep you around. Because if you don't, you all get together and you all think, uh, "Hold on, I'm being asked to do this like a job, but I'm, but I have to work full time in order to do it." Th those two things don't weigh up together. <laughs> if I'm putting in full-time hours for fucking hobby pay, what what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Let alone hobby you're pay. Yeah. yeah, you're basically wasting time trying to play 
I mean, I wouldn't say human chess with somebody. You're basically wasting your time swapping brain cells yeah. with somebody for nothing. Yeah. And it's not... If that's all there is for you, if the only thing that you've got is that dream of being the fucking biggest guy in the whole world, and you're not getting anything now, you're being taken for a ride. I mean that 100%. <laughs> you need to be exactly. getting what you're worth. And you can see that with... So we'll talk about some good promotion now. Uh, the current gym that I train martial arts at is Australian Top Team. And the guys who run the Australian Top Team are Suman and Ashkan Mokhtarian. Both of those guys made it to the UFC. Didn't do great, but they're still excellent fighters. They still beat the piss out of, you know, 99.9% .9 of the humans on the world. They made it to the UFC when it kind of meant something. They run a show called Urban Fight Night. Now, when I fought for Urban, we both knew, knew what we were getting into. This was back when I was living in Orange. I knew that they were trying to kill me to pump up their guys. They knew that they were trying to kill me to pump up their guys. But they'd still get me, they'd still sort me out. They said, you know, if you sell tickets, you can get commission. If, you, if you're coming up on this short notice fight, we've, there's going to be a hotel room for you here. We're going to pay your fuel. We're going to do all this stuff that we're technically not allowed to do because it's an amateur show, but we're still going to do it for you because we understand that you need to get something out of this other than fucking brain damage. And this is, you know, amateur fighting, which is still, you know, there's still that level of exploitation, but I do believe it is important as a developmental tool. And so... While, you know, I'm going in there against fucking Tennessee Atuate, who, after he beat me, went and fought a fucking stadium champ in Thailand and beat him in less time it took him to beat me, and I was just some cunt from Orange, uh, you know, we, we, we all know what's going on there. They're trying to, you know, they're pumping up his record with some dude they found in Orange. I still did way better than I was supposed to. We all knew what was going on. Everybody understood. And no one was... No one had any illusions. It was like, this is a very hard to win fight for you, Alistair, but you're from Orange and you're not getting offered any fights. So we're going to sprinkle some good shit on you. You know, we're going to make sure that you're taken care of. You don't see that elsewhere. And now that I am one of their guys, they do great work for their fighters. If they're running an urban show, you know who everybody is and all of their fighters are fucking sponsored by... Businesses. Fucking one of the guys, uh, Fahud Kaltabar, just got picked up by fucking Lululemon. He's a fucking brand ambassador for them. So he goes around wearing fucking tights wow. and whatever. So, like, it's a big fucking deal. They understand that they need their fighters in order to make something. Because this is where they came from. They understand what you want out of it. And all of those guys at ATT have the dream to get into the UFC. But they're getting something now. They're getting enough to make it worthwhile and they're not just being dragged along by the carrot on the stick. So there we are. Some good promotional practice for you all. Of course, of course. And I mean, come to think of it, you saying fighters getting promoted like businesses. I mean, we in the United States have something similar to that. It's called the U.S. Open Cup. One of the most prestigious... I wouldn't really say one of the most prestigious, but the oldest club football or association football or soccer mm. tournaments in the world and everybody's pretty much sponsored by well the amateur teams especially that come into that tournament are sponsored by local businesses or local mine pop shops yeah compared to the second compared to the second tier and obviously the first tier mls squads that have a shitload of money 
But yeah, well, like, the, these guys yeah. aren't even fucking, like, it used to just be local kebab shops. It used to be fucking Brother Hassan's fucking kebab shops would be looking after, uh, who's the fucking guy? <laughs> um, they had, like, five different hitmen's fight out of there, so it was one of the guys who was called Hitman. Um, that, that was how it used to be, but they've gone on and they built, they built from a little show that was to get their guys fights to build up and put them onto bigger shows to one of the biggest in the country because they always had the money. They always had the money. They always had the sponsors. They were looking after their fighters and they built them up. And that's how you fucking do it. As a, like, if you don't have venture capital to burn the way that fucking 1FC does, you uh, need to even, be fundamental. Yeah. Don't even get me fucking started on that. <laughs> Championship. Ah. Uh. So, yeah, one champion, like, even one championship isn't making money. Uh, so either fucking Chatri Sichongdong is some sort of based communist who's burning uh, um, uh, venture capital deliberately, or he's running a fucking money laundering scheme. Either either or, everybody's getting paid. Mm -hmm. And that's the only, like, if you sure want to be the UFC... Fucking go out to Silicon Valley and find some fucking idiot who wants, who's dreaming of running a big show. Don't try and run the big show out of your own pocket, fucking, and not, and based on fucking down payments and hoping that you're going to sell enough tickets. Because you will not be able to spend enough to outcompete the UFC. No one's going to fucking come to your show. No one knows who you are. They come to places that they know. So you've got to run a show that no one's going to come to. <laughs> like just enough people. Just enough to make that money back, run the next one, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and build it up. You can't expect it all in one go. I see, of course. Or find someone to co-promote with. So, back to Wrestle Queerdom. Effie runs mm -hmm. the Big Gay Brunch, which is what Wrestle mm -hmm. Queerdom was, except it's been going for four years. Effie doesn't pay I for it all himself, yeah. but he gets his name on it, and he co-promotes it with GCW, a place that is fucking set up and actually knows what they're doing in terms of running events. They have the expertise. They know what they're doing. They understand, like, how to sell tickets to that particular crowd. And it works. It's a great, very successful show. Hmm. Yeah, of course it's great because it basically is a part of something called the collective yeah for wrestlemania weekend where they have a bunch of great shows obviously josh barnett's blood sport for me i always get hyped up when for the culture happens and then you got joey janela's spring break event and that's supposed to be the highlight of the weekend yeah it's well like the highlight in the case of some weird shit happening yeah but a highlight nonetheless <laughs> And you can you can do this. It is possible to run these shows, but it's not going to happen fucking overnight. You need to build up to something. And the moment you fall behind on the treadmill, you need to get the fuck off the treadmill and you need to fucking put the money back into it. You need to make sure you build it back up to where it's supposed to be to run the next one. If you try and keep running on that treadmill, try and keeping like just staying ahead a little bit of your debts, just staying a little bit ahead you're going to fall behind. There will be that fucking reckoning. And thankfully now, it's coming for Lion Fight. I think the culture of, like, mild silence, worry that you're going to spend an opportunity at a big place at a big notice is, like, burnt out. It no longer has the social clout required to be like, oh, just everyone relax, it'll all work out. 
enough has gone wrong for them to start, you know, losing that reputation. And I think we need to, we need to hit that fucking threshold of people not being scared to just not scared of burning their own opportunities when they call out promoters on shitty fucking behavior. Mm -hmm. Like that needs to hit a lot earlier in the mind of all fighters. But the problem is fighters are fucking staunchly individual. <laughs> Whenever getting the fight is here, it's never happening. Right. Of course. So, and I mean, come to think of it, I mean, we're getting close to an hour just talking to one another. So, you know, if you were to say one thing to Scott Kent of Lion Fight, what would it be? And if in the case that Lion Fight does die out because of all this promotional malpractice they're doing, what would be the one thing you would say at the promotion's eulogy? So, for one thing for Scott Kent. You owe tons of people a fuckload of money. Do not run another show. Do not try and get on the treadmill and get ahead of it. Go to work a fucking job. Go fucking be a banker or whatever it was you were before you did this. Sell your fucking car. Me. Sell your fucking house and pay what you fucking owe. Because these people bled for you. And they do not have what you have. They do not have the fucking credit rating that, let them, that lets them lend a fucking million dollars to rent out a building in Vegas. This is people's fucking lives that get thrown out. Um, Jesse might not have I been mean, five grand away from disaster, but I know tons of fighters that are. So make this fucking right monetarily. Because I do hope that no one ever trusts you to run a fucking show again. So... Sell exactly. what you own and pay the money back. Uh, as I mean, for the, come to think of it, he owns the Fremont Street Experience, which is right on the Vegas Strip, so it's going to take a lot of people and a lot of backers to buy that thing off of him if he ends up messing up with Lion Fight, which he's already doing now. There you go. Sell fucking something. You have it. You don't need it. These people need rent and food. <laughs> Fuck. Um, as for the eulogy of Lion Fight, it's fucking, he lies another person who had dreams of being Vince McMahon. But you're not. Fucking Vince can't even be Vince anymore. Dana can't be Dana ever again. The fucking circumstances that birthed those two people will never happen again for anybody else. So you might as well settle for being somebody decent and somebody who runs a sustainable show. For the love of fucking God, have the money to run a show. Wow. And if you don't have you the fucking what? money, don't run the fucking show. <laughs> exactly. Or if you're basically doing this just to be a hobby, don't run the show. Because you're basically wasting everybody's time trying to make this hobby work. Yeah. I mean, you're not Cody Rhodes. You're not going to get 20,000 asses in the seats just off your name value alone and with the help of your friends. You're basically doing all you can just to survive. Yeah, it And it's not really good in the bottom line for everybody trying to work with you. Yeah. Like, if, all right, if you want to run it like a business, it has to be a business. It has to be fundamentally sound. 
There's some fucking weird brain cancer that we've all got with businesses where we were all thinking infinite growth. It just has to get bigger and bigger and bigger until it eats the whole universe. And then eventually it'll make money. It, it doesn't work. You need to have business fundamentals. I fucking make shorts. I make the shorts by spending less than I sell them for and working out how much I want to get paid an hour. That's fucking fundamentals. <laughs> and uh, like... People look at me and they go, oh, you could get these made in Pakistan. You could get the thousand made. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know a thousand people who'll buy my fucking shorts. I know enough <laughs> to make it worthwhile for me to do it so I can run a small business. Just understand the size that you're actually capable of doing and keep to that until you have developed the skills or the connections or just the capital to do something else. But don't jump the fucking steps. You can't go a hundred miles an hour. You have to go one first and then work your way up. There you go. I'm fucking sweaty. I, I started yelling a bit there. It's okay, dude. It's okay. You just needed to let it all out, so to speak. Mm. Now, considering the fact that you're a four and four amateur, obviously, Tapology still has you listed under the nickname Ironbox. I mean, I can't really talk to you about any future fights. Uh, no, not for a little while. Um, my sort of time and focus has been spent on professional wrestling and getting my gear making off the ground, but, um, any professional wrestling matches I have coming up that are actually, like, booked and not just you turned up and helped out, so here's a spot, uh, will be announced <laughs> on my fucking Twitter, which is at Gentleman's Combat, and then you stop there, so Gentleman's, no space, C-O-M-B-A, finished. Uh, I mean, it's basically like saying combo, but yeah. instead of the O, you get the A at the end. Yeah, and then if you want to follow my uh, Instagram where you'll see nice pictures or a six-second video of me slapping another guy in the face, uh, that's at IronboxFighter, I-R-O-N-B-O-X-F-I-G-H-T-E-R. And again, everything that, you know, I'm doing will get announced there. Or, if you want to buy some very nice 2000-style uh, Valley Tudo shorts, I am keen as fuck to actually make, like, an amount of these. So send me an email at gentlemanscombatives at gmail.com. So there you are. That's everything that I do. Plugged. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, that basically disqualifies me from asking how can the fans contact you. I mean, but of course, you're an amateur fighter. You're a professional wrestler. I'm pretty much afraid to talk about your next fight because, hell, somebody might be the entirety of the New South Wales region of Australia would be listening to this and they would probably know where you are, you know, want to pick a fight with you at any given point in time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, uh, if anybody wants to actually fight me on a show, they're, they're more than welcome to contact the promoter because my fucking blue book has expired. I can't fight until I sort that shit out. So uh, feel free to call me out on whatever. It's never going to happen. And come to think of it, one more thing. Is there any words of encouragement you would like to say to Jesse Steele just to keep his hopes going up? Because I know that, like Steele, a lot of fighters have been screwed over by Lion Fight. And, you know, it's Lion Fight's fault that they're basically getting shit canned. So is there anything that you would like to say on behalf of Jesse Steele? 
Uh, on behalf of Je on behalf of Jesse, Jesse's fucking all he's saying is fucking pay me Scott what you owe. Uh, those are his exact words. I did contact him and ask if there was anything in particular that he wanted gone over, and he said nah, it's all been covered by his um Instagram post or his or just in the uh, Beyond Kickboxing uh what's it called Beyond Kick uh, article. So. Go read the fucking Beyond Kick article if you haven't. You can find out about all the other people that have been fucked over by Scott Kent. Um, and if I was to say anything to Jesse, it'd be fucking get paid before you leave the building. That's that's about it. Exactly. Ah, exactly. So, one more thing. Um, in Australia, we have we have a guy who runs wrestling shows sort of as a hobby. I will not mention the uh, the promotion for. Hey, no, fuck it. It's it's FWA, Future Wrestling Association. Um, at his last event, he had out here uh, Lince Dorado, formerly uh, Callisto, I think, and somebody else. Nah, who's... Lince Dorado, Samurai del Sol, aka Callisto. Oh, well, he had Samurai del Sol and Lince Dorado out here. Now, he, you know, tried a little bit of funny business. He tried to pay them in Australian dollars rather than American dollars. And you know what they fucking did? They dragged him what? into a back room. They took his license out of his uh, wallet. And they took photos of it and they said, Motherfucker, we know where you live. You will pay us before we leave this building or someone's coming to see you. <laughs> they got paid. <laughs> so, my advice is, next time a promoter says, oh, I'll get you next time, bro. Or, oh, hold on, I'm having whatever. You fucking get a hold of them. You drag them. You find every other fighter who hasn't gotten their money yet and put, sit them the fuck down. Take photos of their license. <laughs> know who they are so that you can chase up that money and get what you are owed. There you go. Please don't kill anybody. Please don't assault anybody. But, you know, make sure you know where to find them. Wow. Basically, they had to do like the old mobsters used to do in the movies and basically hold them up for everything they got. Yeah. <laughs> well, they got paid what they were owed. <laughs> wow. But other than that, if y'all want to check out the article, go to beyondkick.com, search for the fall of a lion fight, because let's face it, they're having a very big fall right now, and I'm not talking about the season either. Mm. <laughs> and if you want to check out more of what we have over at Focus Fights, the Linktree page is in the Linktree. What the fuck am I trying to say? I have some issues with myself trying to speak sometimes and i don't even know how to close out my own damn show but yeah you can check out the link tree url in the description other than that i can just spell it out for you l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash focus fights and you can check out where you can find a podcast where you can check us out on all forms of social media and, you know just basically listen to what we have because I mean, I'm not doing this just for cloud. I'm doing this just to... I mean, I'm not just doing this for cloud to, to get noticed. I'm doing this to get people's stories out there. <laughs> oh, and also, if you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, I am at ChrisGary92 on Twitter because I'm not calling it X. Fuck you, Elon Musk, you rat bastard. Fuck Elon. And, yes. And I'm on Instagram at ChristianGary1992. I mean, if you want to send me DMs or just simply talk to me, I am all ears. I am all available 24-7, just as long as you don't basically try and catfish me or scam me. <laughs> but other than that, 
Alistair Ironbox Fleming, or should I say Gentleman's Combat Alistair Fleming. Thank you for joining me, and thank you for getting your story out there, man. I really appreciate it, and hopefully those following along with this whole Lion Fight saga can appreciate it, too. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for having me on. I, uh, you know, I have exactly zero clout myself, so the more people that know what to fucking do and what they're owed as, you know, performers, uh, the better, in my opinion. So, thank you very much. No problem. Close your eyes, I want to write the skies in my sweet dreams. Close your eyes, I want to see you tonight in my sweet dreams.